Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by Shark Coatings. Visit sharkfloorcoatings.com when you need professional floor coating services done right the first time. Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus. Starting at $3 a month, get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shoutouts, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to gatorsbreakdown.supportingcast.fm to join Gators Breakdown Plus today. Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus. Starting at $3 a month. Get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shoutouts, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to gatorsbreakdown.supportingcast.fm to join Gators Breakdown Plus today. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Coming at you in this new year. And a little bit of new look, Will Miles there. Got the, we've talked about it right before we come on. Got the growing out the beard just a little bit, Will. So, uh, uh, good, good, good seeing you in this 2023 and hope you had a happy, happy, Merry holiday, and once again, Happy New Year. Yeah, well, up in the great white north here, we uh, <laughs> yeah, we, had, we had a cold Christmas. We didn't get a white Christmas, but it was enough to drive my furnace out. So, uh, oh, I just, no. So, so, so we had an expensive Christmas is what we had, but uh, now it's good. Had family in town and uh, was able to take a little bit of a break and, and was a little bit lazy and went back to work today and decided I wanted to channel my inner Patrick Tony and, and, and have the beard here. So if anybody has seen any of his, uh, any of his YouTube clips from when he was at Louisiana, I'm not too far off where he's at. So maybe they'll bring me on staff. I, I, I can, uh, you know, come on and make some suggestions or, or just be a complete drain on the resources there. But, uh, e- either way, it'll be fun. Uh, there we go. Yeah. So, uh, Hey, speaking of Patrick Tony, we're gonna talk about the defense a little bit tonight, a little bit tonight, because, Hey, we got some New Year's resolutions uh, for these Gators, and I think on everybody's list is this Gators defense. Uh, so we'll, we'll dive into that just a little bit in our New Year's resolutions for these Gators in this new uh, 2023. Everybody in your comments, you can leave uh, your New Year's resolutions for the Gators. Will and I will have some fun with this. Um, uh, I think you know some New Year's resolutions coming up for the Gators. And uh, look. Probably a long list <laughs> to help this team uh, get you know a better record in 2023. Uh, so we you know we'll see what Will and I come up with, and we'll also take a look. 
back at our over-under predictions coming into this season, some of the superlatives we picked out as well, uh, where we were right, where we were wrong. Uh, we'll have some good fun uh, with that. And then also, on the shout-out to uh, Kelby Collins. Uh, the Under Armour game just ended about an hour ago. He was named MVP of his team there, Will. So uh, Billy Napier's top defensive recruit showing out in Orlando in the Under Armour game. Yeah, well, supposedly he's been dominating at camp all week too. Right? <laughs> it, it, not just like, oh, he kind of loafed at the week during the week and then showed out during the game. It's like, no, like everything we've heard, everything any beat, even rivals have been talking about Collins specifically. So, um, you know, there's obviously always movement in terms of, you know, ratings and that sort of stuff. And Collins has already sort of been moving up the board a little bit, sort of incrementally. I do wonder whether after this he's going to shoot up pretty significantly. But hey, that's a great thing, right? It's a great thing for the evaluation of the staff, but it's a it's a great thing for Collins as well to be able to get that sort of publicity heading into Florida. And hopefully, it's been a long time since we've had a truly dominant defensive lineman. Maybe John Grenard is the last time we had a dominant defensive lineman. So if Collins can come in and uh, participate, not be Grenard, but if he can come yeah. in and be a disruptive defensive lineman, that certainly would be a uh, a welcome addition to the Florida Gator roster. Absolutely. And uh, I see it in the chat before we go on. Yeah, there will be the commitment of offensive line, offensive line, uh, offensive tackle Caden Jones uh, this week. He will make his commitment. It looks like a pretty good battle between Florida, Texas A&M right now. Uh, the latest I heard, I probably would still lean Florida, uh, but maybe there's some orange and blue glasses there. Maybe I'm reading too much into feeling good earlier on in the process uh, right there. I haven't heard too much to sway, except you know that, that the battle may be tightening up. Uh, we know in some ways it didn't trend well for Florida once we were here and some battles tightened up uh, here in this recruiting cycle, but uh, a big knee, you know, not one of the highest rated offensive linemen out there, but great size, big size there. Uh, and, Hey, look, Florida needs some bodies at offensive tackle. The staff is known for developing offensive linemen. So while they might not be the highest rated, uh, we fall back on the development and hope he gets developed as some of the lower rated offensive linemen have if he commits to the Gators, Will. Yeah, well, I mean, beyond just the depth and that sort of stuff, I mean, you know, William Harrod, Austin Barber, Jordan Herman, and David Connor, the only guys that Florida has at guard rate or at tackle right now. So four offensive tackles is not and, enough. And especially right. and probably maybe Cam Waits, I think he probably ends up being a tackle. Uh, I think that's the plan, but yeah, but he still. struggled to guard in the bowl right. game. So, still. you know, again, I think it's one of those things where not only, and, and we always talk about this with recruiting, it's not necessarily that these guys who are rated 400 can't turn into stars. It's that you need four of them in a specific class because 20% of them, or you know, I guess you need five of them because 20% of them are going to turn into stars, like NFL quality guys. And so it's, you know, look, bringing a guy who's ranked 450th on the offensive line is not a bad thing. That's a very yeah. good player that you're bringing into your program. Now, it's not Samson Okunlola, right? I mean, that guy is probably a guaranteed first-day starter, and I don't know that, that Jones would necessarily be that. But when you just look at the numbers at offensive tackle, like Florida needs to have bodies. And this is something Bill Sykes wrote for Read and Reaction a couple years ago where he was writing about the offensive line. And the consistent programs in the SEC bring in four or five offensive line recruits every year. And if you look at last year, Florida didn't hit the four mark. And you look at this year, Florida hasn't hit the four four player mark yet. And that means you're going to have to go out in the, the portal just to add depth and, and bring those guys in. And, and when you talk about development, I mean, the one place – where you talk about development, getting guys who are there for three or four years who really probably don't step into their role in the SEC specifically until their junior and senior year. Offensive line is one of those spots where you sort of expect the continuity to help and you expect the growth of these guys all together as one class to help. And, and so, you know, that's the place where I think, especially at the high school level, you need to be bringing these guys in. So 
look, you, you, we were joking before we came on. You said it's 50 50 AM in Florida. And I go, oh, great. So he's going to AM. But, <laughs> but that's just sort of my cynicism showing out. I, you know, Jones, I think, has had really good, um, really good visits with Florida. Certainly, I think the relationships with Billy Napier um, have proven to be pretty successful for players in this sort of ranking range. And so we'll see. I think you, you don't have to put together some giant NIL deal for a guy who's ranked in the 400s. And, you know, there's probably something involved, but it's not going to be the kinds of NIL deals we've been talking about with these top 10 guys that Florida's been going after as well. And so if that's been a disadvantage for Florida moving forward or in the past, and I don't know necessarily that it has, but if that's been a disadvantage, it shouldn't be a disadvantage here. And so this is going to be purely relationships, your ability to recruit, your ability to build that long-term relationship, your ability to sell playing time, all those sorts of things. And Florida has a lot to offer in that specific space. And so hopefully that gets the job done when it comes to Jones. Absolutely. So we look forward to that commitment uh, later on this week. Uh, And Hey, look, we'll be uh, right here on Gators Breakdown. Probably won't do anything if he doesn't commit to Florida, but if he does, <laughs> we'll be right here with those commitment episodes uh, that we throw up after every commit there. So, all right, everybody, before we get started, hit that like button if you have not done so yet. That does, helps us out so much right here on Gators Breakdown. Subscribe also if you haven't done so yet. Leave a comment. Hey, leave your New Year's resolution for the Gators. And right now on Gators Breakdown Plus, they they, they left their New Year's resolution uh, for, for, for this Gators team, so a couple of them. I'll get into a couple of those. Uh, possibly before the end of this episode. One of them will, jokingly, uh, multiple people said beat Vanderbilt. So the New Year's resolutions there, uh, having some fun uh, with it. But, of course, not fun at the same time because you lost to Vanderbilt, and, hey, you got to beat them next year. So one New Year's resolution to get his Breakdown Plus members uh, are are having fun there on the Discord. Link is in the description. Not to join us, go have some fun, have some conversation there uh, with some Gators Breakdown Plus members. So, uh, well, let's get started um, I, I, you and I have discussed this throughout the season. A lot of people have discussed this throughout the season, but we're going to go start here with the middle eight. So the Gators need to lose the weight of the middle eight. There we go. I put it there, kind of getting creative here. And, well, it was not pretty for the Gators in the last four minutes of the first half and the first four minutes of the second half. Outscored as you see it, seventy-five to thirty-eight in the middle eight, and usually you know, that's a, such an important part of a game because you usually get one offensive possession, one defensive possession in the last four, and one offensive possession, one defensive possession in the first four in the second half. So you kind of get to see both sides of the ball right before halftime. Right after halftime, and so many swings, so many point swings happen in this area in the in the middle eight here. So let's go to, to the top of it. Florida, first game of the season, get the win over Utah. Hey, in the middle eight, right there for the Gators, seven nothing, seven nothing in the middle, uh, outscoring Utah uh, right there. It was seven nothing in the last four, first four of the, of the second half, zero zero. Gators go out there with the seven nothing. So starting the season off in the middle eight, pretty good there for the Gators. Uh, Kentucky started uh, – Florida started to drive right under four minutes. Anthony Richardson does an interception. Uh, so uh, the last four, Kentucky won that. Seven to nothing. Score up before halftime. Uh, first four, first four minutes of the second half, Kentucky three to nothing. So ten nothing Kentucky in the middle eight. Uh, included USF game here too since that was close. So right after the Jalen Kimber interception for a touchdown – that drive started with 4.39 left on the clock. Uh, USF starts to drive with 3.10 left. Uh, and last four of that game, 7-3 Florida. Uh, and then the first four of the second half, a Florida interception, USF touchdown. 
Um, seven nothing USF uh, right there. So they, because they kicked the field goal in the uh, first half to, to, uh, toward the end of the first half, 10-7, USF wins the middle eight of that game. In a close game, Florida comes out, but of course, should not have been that close. Then Tennessee. Uh, Florida drive started at 5.09. They punted, Will. Uh, Tennessee scores a touchdown uh, in, in that last four. I think we remember Britton Cox has uh, Hendon Hooker wrapped up. Can't get him down on third down. Tennessee goes on to score a touchdown right before halftime. 7 nothing. Tennessee right before halftime. Um, and then the first four of the second half, 7-7. Seven, seven. Uh, f- f- Tennessee scored. So 14 points. Swing right there for Tennessee. Florida drive took six minutes and 21 seconds. They even had to include that. It went past <laughs> the middle eight there for the Gators, but that drive started uh, pretty early in the second half. Uh, 14-7, middle eight win for Tennessee. So, so far at that point of the season, Florida had been scored out, outscored 34-21 to 21 in that portion of the season toward the beginning of the season. So we could already get in, we're already telling Florida wasn't doing well uh, going into halftime, out of halftime, putting some points up uh, in, in some areas, uh, but not able to sustain it throughout the season. Go to Missouri game. Florida drive started with 355 left. Anthony Richardson fumbled. Mizzou kicks a field goal. Mizzou gets the last four of the first half. Three nothing. First four, zero, zero. So, okay, you kept that one close. But Florida's offense, not doing anything, as you can tell right here, in the middle eight of the portion, uh, middle middle portion of the game, as Missouri goes three nothing. In the next game, fourteen nothing LSU in the middle eight. LSU drive started with four oh five touchdown LSU. Florida drive afterwards fails. So the last four of the first half, seven nothing LSU. First four, another seven nothing LSU. I mean fourteen to nothing. You're outscored fifty one to twenty one in the middle eight. Of this section uh, so far uh, of this part of the season. And then it's kind of to round it out, not much happening as far as the action goes. Georgia, last four, they put up a touchdown in the last four of the first half, seven nothing Georgia. Uh, first four, Florida scored in the first four of the second half, seven seven tie. AM, also seven seven tie. South Carolina, Zero zero, and you can kind of get picky there, Will, if you wanted to. South Carolina's drive started with just over six minutes left, but they scored on that fake punt. Uh, so that was late in the first half. Uh, they get that, but zero zero, no drives really starting uh, late first half, and no points early second half. Vanderbilt, it was tied seven seven in the middle eight. FSU tied three three in the middle eight. It was seventy five thirty eight. Florida outscored in the middle eight. Well, I mean, we've seen uh, Dan Mullen was big on getting that score right before halftime, go into the locker room, get the ball after halftime, and go put up another, you know, make that 14-point swing. That happened a lot uh, in that 2020 season there uh, for, 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 for the Gators, getting some points right before halftime, right after halftime. And, look, we, we, we go back and look at these games and we say, you know, why did Florida struggle so much in some of these games? Why did they lose so many of the games? And we can pinpoint to this, you know, did – Billy Napier trust Anthony Richardson to go put together a two-minute drive. Was Anthony Richardson able to – did he have trust in himself? Did he have trust in the offense? Was he able to put together a two-minute drive? Uh, but erase all that, Will. We saw too many times this team just come out flat to start the second half, come out of the, come, come out of the locker room and just not get anything going, whether it be offense or defense. Uh, but this mainly the offense is 
as, as many points as they scored in a lot of these games this year, they still struggled right before halftime, right after halftime. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Yeah, I mean, this is this specifically, I think, is why people really are concerned about Napier at this point, right? Like, you, you look at it and say, we were expecting a guy who's an experienced head coach who's going to be able to make those adjustments, who's going to be able to make consistent decisions that lead to success in the last four minutes of the first half and the first four minutes of the second. And look, I mean, that's a half a quarter, but 75 to 38, that, that scoring margin is a 2-10 and 10 team. Over a over a twelve game period, and so you think about Florida ending up six and seven. Well, you know they they probably lost a game. So the calculation I have has them at six point one wins and going six and six, basically on their scoring differential for this year. If you subtract these numbers, basically if they just played this even, they would have won six point nine games. So it's one game specifically that o- over the course of the year that they would have won. But you look at all the one score games, right? They were three and three in one score games. Do you end up going five and one in one score games? Do you end up with one score games that aren't one score games mm. because you're able to pull away all those sorts of things? You look at it, LSU was a one score game. Um, you know, <laughs> Missouri was a one. Remember, Florida we, State was a one score yeah, game. Missouri was a Missouri one score game. game. Yeah, yeah, Missouri game where you look like they were able to pull away multiple times and just was never able to. Tennessee, USF, those were all one-score games. And Kentucky was almost a one-score game. They basically gave them a field goal at the end to prevent it from being a one-score game. Even the Utah game was a one-score game, right? And you look at it, and, I mean, jeez, I'm watching Utah play in the Rose Bowl, and I, I felt like the guy for Bull Durham who's like, how did we win eight? <laughs> when he says they're eight and 16. It's like I'm watching them, and I'm like, did 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 we knock out Rising? And I just didn't know it. Like, how, how, did, how did we win that game? And, you know, the answer is because they didn't put themselves at a significant deficit going into halftime and then coming out of halftime. In fact, they they got a huge benefit from the Anthony Richardson run that set up or that scored the touchdown there at the end of the half. And then, you know, in the second half, uh, Utah drives all the way down the field and they get the goal line stop. Mm-hmm. And so those two things combine to sort of make – Florida being the net positive coming in and out of halftime. And there was no other time the entire year looking at this chart where they were net positive. There were a couple where they were net neutral, but very few of them where they were net neutral, actually. And yeah, I know Dave Wonderlick talked a little bit about, you know, neighbor was so busy putting his putting his finger in holes of the dam and sort of as the year progressed, things got a little bit better. I guess you can see that in the South Carolina Vanderbilt and Florida State games if you wanted to say glass is half empty. But, you know, geez, out of a 12-game schedule, you ought to at least win a couple. In in that eight minute period, and and Florida just didn't. Now a big part of that is the defense couldn't get stops on either side either, right? And yeah. and so when your when your defense can't stop anybody, it's hard to call timeouts. I mean, he called timeouts against Tennessee, and and was aggressive and got burned by that. He called timeouts against Kentucky and tried to run his two minute offense, and Richardson made him pay for that. And then there were other games where he just sort of sat on the ball, um, going you know going into halftime, and no one was real happy with that either. Now the issue I have isn't isn't people being unhappy with him being unaggressive or or the lack of success when he was being aggressive. The issue I have is that sometimes he was aggressive and sometimes he wasn't. And to be honest, especially after that Tennessee game, you knew what you had in that defense 
and you just need to plan accordingly. And I loved the way he coached the Tennessee game. I came mm-hmm. out of that Tennessee game so encouraged that he was taking chances on fourth downs. He was going for two point conversions that he was going for it on fourth down all the time. Like that sort of stuff, that aggressiveness, I think would have served him well over the course of the year. And to be honest, I think he changed tax for whatever reason. I don't exactly know. Maybe it was the criticism. Maybe he just, you know, wasn't comfortable playing that way. But, you know, if he'd have played that way against LSU, if he'd have played that way against Georgia, if he'd played that way against uh, against Vanderbilt and Florida State, I think Florida pulls out at least one more of those wins. But look, I mean, if you're looking for a place for Florida to improve, this is it. And I don't know. Um, like I don't suspect that the other team is going in and making these massive adjustments that take advantage of something schematically that Florida yeah. that Florida's doing. I mean, the the fact that you just said it, that they came out flat. Even the South Carolina game, right? I mean, they came out and the yeah. defense looked like they were about to give stuff up and were able to get some turnovers, but the turnovers sort of stopped drives real early on. Then the offense just sort of sat on it. And, you know, there was an opportunity to win that game by 60, and instead you know, it ends up being a comfortable win, obviously, but uh, but not as good as it could have been. I think that's sort of the the story of the year, right? Florida was really inconsistent all year long, um, and I think that inconsistency really re- reared its ugly head when everybody had a chance to sort of rest and reset. And then when the other team came out and had reset, Florida wasn't ready and and just got demolished, especially on the back end of that of that middle eight. Yeah, yeah. So one that you know goes probably a little bit towards game management, but also as we said, you know, trying to find out what, ways to get this team up coming out of halftime. Uh, but also you know, game management toward the end of the first half, whether that be um, confidence in your quarterback, whether that be uh, play calling, uh, and really how much confidence did, did Billy Napier have? I, I think you know in, in running that faster paced offense, I think uh, comes into play uh, as well. So all right, well, there's one for mine. What about? Uh, New Year's resolution from Will Miles for the Gators. Uh, so my New Year's resolution is a quarterback who can play back-to-back games and play them well. Like, just make the consistent play, right? And yeah. I don't think that's Graham Mertz. I've got an article hopefully coming out this week that's going to be looking at looking at Mertz. I've been watching a lot of Wisconsin film, and and quite honestly, it would probably it's it's like. If if I if I wasn't into BDSM before, I probably will be after this because it is just torture watching that Wisconsin offense. But you know, is it Jack Miller? Is it Jaden Rashad? Is it Max Brown? Is it Graham Mertz? Is it somebody who's not on the roster yet? I don't know. But the lack of consistency with the Gator offense, it was explosive all year long. Mm-hmm. But you know, you'd see Richardson, he'd have an up game against LSU, and then he'd have a down game the next week, and then he'd have an up game the next week, and then a down game the next week. And it was just consistent. It was this always this sine wave where it was always either excellent or terrible. And there wasn't a whole lot in between. And I, I don't want someone who's average and just is always average, but somebody who's just above average, like sitting there in, in the, my stat yards above replacement around like 0.5, a QB rating of like 145, 150. You know, it's funny, like I'm sort of pining for Felipe Franks at this point, because that's kind of what he was <laughs> in, in 2018 and 2019. Now, I think we'd all like to see more than that. But if Rashada as a young guy or Brown as a young guy can come in and put up a QB rating around 145, 150, that's a really successful season for a redshirt freshman and or for a true freshman. And that's kind of 
you know, my new year's resolution is let's get some consistency at that position because, you know, look, I, I think we all saw what Jack Miller was able to do the other day and left that game going, Ugh, I don't know about that. And certainly, you know, Anthony Richardson had his champions. I think you and I were both on that side and he had his detractors. There's certainly people um, in the chat and, uh, and on, on Twitter and social media and things like that, who were his distractors as well. I think everyone has good cases for both sides, right? He was so inconsistent that, I can understand why people are like, yeah, he's never going to get, he's never going to get to where we need to be, but he was so explosive. We'll, I can see people we'll saying, of course he's going to get there. Yeah. And we'll get into that with some of our over under predictions because man, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 but anyway, consistent quarterback play, buddy. That's, that's all I want is, is a guy who, when the guy's wide open over the middle can hit him. Yeah. And when the big play is there, he can hit it. And when the read option is open on the backside, that he's going to keep the ball and go around, the, go around the outside. And when when he needs to make a check in the running game to get him in the right blocking configuration, he's going to be able to do that. And all of those things sometimes were done. And there have actually been some pretty good evals. I think Matt Waldman on Twitter did a good one where he looked at Richardson and you know, look, there are a lot of things that he did in the pocket that were really, really good. He just didn't do them consistently over and over and over again. So, you know, look, if you can throw a uh, just a laser 70 yards downfield and hit a guy in stride, that's great. But if you can only do it one of every seven times, you know, that is what it is. Like, I'd much rather have a guy who who can't throw that laser but can hit the guy who's wide – or not wide open, but in one-on-one -on -one coverage down the sideline, make a back shoulder throw so that he doesn't – get the pass interference, those sorts of things. So that's what I – my New Year's resolution is let's get some consistent play from the quarterback. Not average, but slightly above average to see, where, see whether we can do that. All right, there we go. Will Miles, quarterback, New Year's resolution, and hey, I'll, I'll go along with that. I don't care. I, I, I don't even care who it is. I just want to win some football games because a quarterback plays, as Will says consistently. I don't care if it's Graham Burtz. I don't care if it's Jane Rashada. Uh, you know, it, it's going to take a pretty good quarterback to probably overcome some expectations, low expectations for this Gator team uh, in, in, in 2023. It probably starts at the quarterback position but also well i think it can go to the defense as well and that's one reason i think uh when we talk graham mertz or we talk a true freshman quarterback maybe Jaden rashada coming in look the guy's gonna have to be special whoever it is because this defense they're gonna have to probably make up for a defense and if history is any indication my new year's resolution can we just get a defense Kick the habit of bad defense. I'm tired of it, Will. <laughs> uh, we went years. We went years of just not even worrying about a Florida defense. We knew it was going to be good. All the athletes Florida can recruit, all the athletes Florida can get. It was kind of a given Florida was going to have a defense. And it has, the last three years has just not been up to what we expect a Gator defense to look like. Uh, and, you know, 2022, Patrick Tony comes in, young defensive coordinator. Uh, he's going to give us some different eyes. Everything's going to be different than what we saw under Todd Grantham. And, oh, man, it was a lot of the same. Missed tackles, missed alignments, uh, guys not ready. to. to look, we, we talked about it all preseason, too. Some of these things, I guess we expected immediate improvement. Some of the, the issues and some of the bad habits that this defense was known for um, just were maybe – too much to fix in just one offseason. Hopefully we see improvement, but looking at this New Year's resolution, kick the habit of a bad defense. And you're looking at 2022, it's the worst out of all of these, even worse than the 2020 defense. And we, I know you've said that plenty of times uh, going, coming through this season of just how bad we thought the 2020 defense was. 
2022 was worse. And, and these metrics that I pulled up now, of course, I think, you know, turnovers, this Gator defense was pretty, pretty good in creating turnovers and we keep them in some games and win some games uh, for this Gators team. But you know, going to teamrankings.com, this is only uh, counting games between two FBS schools. So it gets rid of the, the, the cupcake games here. Uh, but in 2022, Will, this past season, the Gators were ranked 92nd in the country, giving up 412 yards a game. That's actually less than 2020, uh, but the rank there, of course, is a little bit different. Uh, so, okay, improve marginally from that 2020 defense. Uh, points per game rank in 2022, 88th in the country, giving up 29.8. Basically, even. I mean, the 2022-2020 defenses were – even in a lot of ways, uh, about the same uh, in a lot of ways. And, you know, Will, going back and looking at these stats, the 2021 defense is a little better <laughs> than I remember, at least going by these stats. And we, we knew there was some improvement from 2020 to 2021. Uh, but, you know, still not the Gator defense that we come to know, uh, a dominant force on that side of the ball. But 2021, 34th in yards per game, giving up 354. If Florida had that this year, they'd probably get – at least one more win, probably two more wins uh, with the 2021 defense. Uh, and then points per game in 2021, uh, 44th in the country, giving up 24.7. I mean, I would, yeah, I, I think giving up 24.7 games probably would have won another game or two for the Gators uh, there. So if you watch it on YouTube, uh, you see it right there. You see the graphic 2022, 2020, very, very similar with 21 sandwiched in the middle, that defense gets Todd Grantham fired anyway, eventually gets Dan Mullen fired anyway. Uh, but, Will, just not the defense the last three years we expect from the Florida Gators. Yeah, so first off, that 2021 stat's a little bit misleading just because of where you get the data, where it's only FBS schools, so the Samford debacle is not <laughs> is not included in that. Yeah, which yeah, but most of the time that should uh, help you in some ways, but yeah, you're, you're right. Usually, yeah. when, usually you take out the cupcakes so that it doesn't skew your data in the good direction, but in this case, it would have drugged Florida down. Yeah. I mean, look, 2021 was a year of inconsistency. I mean, the defense played great against Kentucky and the offense laid an egg, but then the defense was bad against South Carolina. It was bad against UC. It was bad against Sanford, um, but it was good against they, Florida State. Not, right given, before, not given to turnovers in that game, played okay versus Georgia. Yeah, the problem is, is that we had 2020 before, and 2020 was so bad that Grantham had zero wiggle room. And to be honest, after the 2022 after the 2022 defense this year, there's not a whole lot of wiggle room for Patrick Tony next mm -hmm. year. Like the, this defense is going to have to be good. Otherwise, you know, every like year right now, I mean, Florida had a bad offensive game and the clamoring for uh, Billy Napier to bring in an offensive coordinator. Well, holy, holy cow. If the defense is this bad next year, <laughs> like there is going to be definitive clamoring for changes to be made on the defensive side of the ball. And to be honest, I think that's warranted, right? I mean, yes. the, the whole point of this is that you're improving and that you're showing progress. And there was really no progress shown from 2020 to 2022. We expected it to be at least as good as 2021, and it wasn't even close. And, yes, they lost a couple of guys. I mean, you know, they lose Kair Elam. They lose Zach Carter. But were those guys really driving forces that made this defense that much better? No. And plus, those guys were on the defense in 2020 as well. So, you know, I think we had a little bit of a ran into some offenses that weren't very good in 2021. I think there was a little bit of the Florida offense was much more ball control in 2021 where Emory Jones would just have these long drives that would go down mm -hmm. the field and then would stall in the red zone. Um, and, you know, this this year's offense was much more explosive. You know, they could go touchdown for touchdown with LSU and with Kentucky or with uh, Tennessee and some of those other guys. But, 
you know, <laughs> then our, then our defense couldn't, they had to, and our defense couldn't stop them at all when they got back on the field. So that's, that's sort of the first thing. The second thing is, is we're going to find out how good these coaches are because there's nobody left from, from these three defenses. I mean, think about Rashad Torrance, think about Travis Johnson, think about Bernie and Miller and, and, uh, you know, Jervon Dexter and yeah, Cox point. and all that sort of stuff. Like all the guys we sort of looked at and said, if these guys take a step up under Patrick Tony, this defense is going to be pretty good in 2022. Not many of them did. A few of them regressed. And now those guys are all gone. <laughs> and so, you know, the only guys when you really look at it who are there, I mean, you've got Powell Ryland, you've got Human Meelan, you got Desmond Watson, you got Wingo, but he's having shoulder surgery, I believe. You got Jaden Hill, Jason Marshall, Jalen Kimber, who was new this year. Um, you know, beyond that, you're looking at freshmen or sophomore, sophomores pretty much the whole way through, which is kind of the story of the 2023 Florida Gators anyway, is there's, there's, you know, right now there's 76 total scholarship players and 51 of them are either freshmen, redshirt freshmen or sophomores. <laughs> so it's a very, very young team. But what that means is, is that there's no, you know, this year you could make the excuse that Patrick Tony was trying to build this defense or trying to teach old dogs new tricks and trying to bring in guys who are trying to teach guys who had who had already shown a poor track record on the field. Well, at this point, these are their own guys, mm-hmm. right? The guys who are going to be playing in 2023 are their own guys. So if you're and talking transfers, about the transfers coming in. Yeah, so if you're talking about kicking the habit, you know, if you're talking about a defense that improves, and I'm not talking about being 70th in yards per game versus 92nd. I mean, this this defense needs to be like top 40, and mm-hmm. the reason it needs to be top 40 is because you have that kind of talent, and if you can scheme it, like you don't need to do stuff that's all that complex. If you just got guys who are going to execute your scheme and execute it well, you should be able to be a top 40 defense in the SEC, especially when you think about who Florida's going to be playing next year. And and so, look, I, I just uh, – yeah, it's a great New Year's resolution to have a, be- have a better defense, but we got spoiled. You know, I remember watching those Muschamp teams just getting so aggravated that the offense couldn't score, and, and then even the the McIlwain teams as well. And Dan Mullen comes in, and all of a sudden they're scoring thirty points a game, <laughs> but the defense goes in the other direction. And Florida just hasn't been able to piece all that together. And uh, you know, certainly twenty twenty was disappointing because that team had a shot to get to the playoff if the defense had been reasonable and that's maybe the saving grace for Patrick Tony in 2022 is this team goes eight and four with a good defense, maybe nine and three. Um, but you know, are we really that much more encouraged? I mean, I think we are just from the standpoint of you go, it's not a dumpster fire. And this year was a yeah. dumpster fire on that side of the ball. At the same time, if he turns it around next year, you know, look, I'll, I'll be just as encouraged as I would have been coming out of an eight and four and nine, and, you know, an eight, eight and four and nine and three season this year. Like the record this year is less important than them figuring out who they're going to ride with. And they've made a decision and they're they're riding a youth movement in a way that Jim McElwain didn't. And they're riding a youth movement in the way that Dan Mullen didn't. And we'll see whether it works because there's been an enormous amount of turnover um, and no more nowhere more significantly than on the defensive side of the ball. Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, well, um, on the other side, we'll we'll do um, some bullet point New Year's resolutions before we get into our over-unders. But first, here's a message from my friends at Shark Coatings. You know the goosebumps you get when Florida takes the field? Or when that 63-yard Hail Mary actually works? Or the thrill of a game-winning interception in the end zone? What a rush. You can experience that same rush every day at your home with Shark Coatings. We'll cover your old, ugly concrete with a beautiful industrial concrete coating and a warranty that lasts longer than most careers in professional football. 
So whether your garage floor is for parking, partying, or working out, Shark Coatings can transform it. And if your pool deck is starting to look like a bulldog, old, cracked, smells like pee, Shark Coatings can transform that too. Shark Coatings is easy to clean, stain resistant, and is 100% antibacterial and antimicrobial. We're easy on the eyes and on the maintenance. Gator Nation is worldwide, and Shark Coatings is based right in the heart of it. So whether you live in Brunswick, Georgia, or Live Oak, Florida, down to Ocala, over to New Smyrna Beach, or anywhere in between, contact us for a free estimate today. Learn more at sharkfloorcoatings.com. That's sharkfloorcoatings.com. Uh, Will, so bullet points here, and then we'll get to the uh, other portion of the episode. Uh, right now, Portal... Offensive lineman. <laughs> That's the next step. Uh, Florida's got to get some instant impact plug-and-play offensive lineman uh, through the transfer portal. Defensive line, Jackson Mitchell, uh, or Mitchell, the linebacker. Uh, defensive line and linebacker through the portal as well. So, of course, you know, Cam Jackson there, Banks, the Louisville transfer. Uh, Mitchell just committed or transferred from Ohio State. Um, you know, I think defensive lineman, Banks, Jackson, probably – um, needed more and probably come in and, and, and fit more. Mitchell, ready to see if he can continue what he showed in 21 at Ohio State and, and be a reliable uh, line. I don't know if there's any difference maker uh, there in Mitchell at the linebacker position, but uh, I think Florida does need some help, need some depth there. I'm high on what, what Jackson can do for the transfer from, from, from Memphis and maybe even the potential of Banks. I know the staff really high on, the, on his transformation, body change, and what his heavier weight can do uh, there along on the defensive front. Uh, another one, Will, I know you, you kind of spoke to it earlier. So, yeah, get a good feel. You mentioned just quarterback in general uh, as far as, you know, just a consistent quarterback. But at some point, and I don't want to take too much away from spring because we got fooled from the spring game last year thinking, you know, AR was going to be what we thought he would be. Uh, we didn't get that AR from the spring game to the fall. Uh, but at some point, I'll maybe gleam a little bit from it, but at some point the fall, I want to get a good feel for Jaden Rashada. Whether that be Florida getting blown out and he comes and plays in some games, whether Florida's doing the blowout and he comes in and plays in the game, or at some point he just takes over. I want to get a good feel for where Jaden Rashada is as a true freshman and him going into the 24 season. Uh, build on young defenders, McClellan and James, you know, all SEC freshmen there for the Gators uh, to, to come in and, and build on their performances as young players. I think it's a New Year's resolution I'd like to see. Uh, and good friend, and I kind of expand, expand this from the Gators Breakdown Plus, but our good friend, Neil, I, I messaged him. He put out an article for Saturday Down South uh, of New Year's resolutions for the Gators. I said, man, I, I text Will last week. That was going to be our, our idea for the, for the episode. I knew it would be unique. I knew some other people would do it. Neil released his yesterday, but he said, beat a rival. You know, and I, and I jokingly said Gators Breakdown Plus members, I said beat Vandy. Uh, so some, of them, some of them start there, but Neil rightfully pointed out, beat a rival. Uh, Florida 0-4 this past season against Tennessee, LSU, Georgia, Florida State. Florida's got to get one of those uh, as a New Year's resolution, but I know the fan base, at least me, I mean, we, we got to get to at least 2-2 two and two <laughs> to, to, to beat some of those rifles there, Will. Yeah, own four ain't gonna cut it for too long. That that's certainly true. I mean, look, the team went two and five to finish the year. So I think just winning would would would, would be whether it's a rival or not. Let's win some games, right? I mean, Oregon State not a rival. Vanderbilt shouldn't be a rival. Um, you know, these these are games that that Florida's gonna have to get. 
beyond the Florida states and the LSUs and the, and the Georgias and hell Utah next year. Right. So I, I think there's going to be there's a necessity for them to get the job done in those games. Certainly. Um, and we joke about Vanderbilt, but that's not really a joke. Like not only because they lost, but because like you, like those teams are building too, right? Look at Vanderbilt. They're going to be a solid six and six team based on what they're doing in, in recruiting and what Clark Lee's been able to do on the field. Like, a six and six team can jump up and snipe you every once in a while. So just getting guys who are who are bought in and ready to go strap it up when you go to play Vanderbilt, I think, is a big part of the building process here, which is sad to say, but I think that's sort of where we're at. Yep. Uh and then going to the Gators breakdown plus uh, as I said, beat Vanderbilt was a what was was a joke in there, but of course it does need to happen. Uh and um Ryan S um did say this one's interesting, Will. Ditch the two offensive line coach idea. Now, I think through the season, we were seeing this Gator run game most of the time have their way. But Ryan says, doesn't seem to be helping on the trail all that much. And after seeing our line without Torrance, didn't look great on the field either. So you go to uh, um, without Torrance versus LSU. And besides the big Anthony Richardson run, not a lot of uh, rushing yards being had by uh, ETN and Johnson. And then, of course, the bowl game as well. Uh, and that kind of goes to Rooster's point, too. He says in there, find consistency in the run game. And as we said, as good as this Florida run game was this year, it was not consistent. Uh, and just brought up the, 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 the examples there, uh, LSU without Torrance, Oregon State bowl game without Torrance. Even with that, struggled to run versus Vanderbilt, struggled to run versus Tennessee. Uh, so as good as it was this year for the Gators and running the ball, it was not consistent uh, as we would like it to be. Uh, and then Rooster goes on to say, top half of the SEC in total defense and final way to get the young DBs wide receivers on the field as much as possible. Kind of going to my uh, Rashad up thing. You want to see some of the young talent get out there uh, on the field for the Gators and get a good feel uh, for where they are as this is a young team and 23 may be whatever it is. Uh, but we know if they're if 23 is going to be that way, 24 better be a big bounce up. You better be seeing some of this Billy Napier recruiting and some of the experience that he's building uh, pay off in the 24 season. But no, we can't throw away 23 yet. Yeah, <laughs> as we have learned, Will, just the the this past bowl week, college football is crazy. Yeah, this this you know it's. Uh, yeah, you, you don't know how it's going to turn out sometimes. So, well, well, that actually goes to my bullet point. Uh, my bullet point resolutions. I got a few here. So, one, find a star linebacker. Not, mm. not like you know. Oh, this guy can kind of play linebacker. Not like when he leaves, the entire defense falls apart, and when he's here, the defense is like passable. Nah, we need a star linebacker, a guy who's in the middle, who's going to put his head in there and stop the run, and can go side to side and can cover running backs out of the backfield. A star. Can Shamar James be that guy? I don't necessarily know. We need to find a star linebacker along with we need to find more of them because right now we got you got Mitchell, you got Jaden Robinson, who hopefully is going to be that star. You got Scooby Williams, Shamar James, and Derek Wingo. Um, so they need numbers, not just a star. But I think more than anything, Florida needs some star power at the linebacker position, a guy who can cover up some of the holes that the defensive line maybe leaves. But now you mentioned Banks coming in. You mentioned, um, you know, the – Jackson. Jackson coming in and those guys should be able to help free up those linebackers and we need a star who's going to be able to do it the hey, second Jackson, one I, Jackson, said, Jackson said on Gators breakdown yesterday that's what that's what his job is eat some double teams and clean and make it clean for the linebackers 
God, I hope so. But there were some times where we saw Javon Dexter getting triple teamed, and there weren't linebackers flying. <laughs> right. So uh, you know, an, a star linebacker. That's what I. That's one of my New Year's resolutions, or maybe this is my wish list to Santa. I don't know. So uh, <laughs> all SEC freshmen turning into all SEC. That happens yeah. a fair amount, but I think it needs to happen fast for Florida. So you look at ETN, you look at Austin Barber, and you look at Shamar James. Mm-hmm. Those guys need to turn into stars now. We don't have time to wait until their junior years for them to convert from being, hey, this is a nice surprise, a nice contribution your freshman year to, hey, now you're a dominant SEC player who's going to be a top, you know, first round, second round pick in the NFL draft. Those guys need to be, we need to be coming into their junior year two years from now, talking about them like we used to talk about CJ Henderson, where we're like, that guy could already go to the NFL if he was eligible. (laughs) Hey, we get another year. That's great. Like we need those guys, the guys who were all SEC freshmen need to turn into all SEC SEC players next year. And the third thing that I have written down, which has nothing to do with Florida whatsoever, though a little bit to do with Florida, is – can we get TCU to keep whatever voodoo it's had all year long? Like, just, I mean, I, I, I was about to kill Ryan Day on, uh, on, on Saturday there. New Year's when, Eve. He, when he, well, when he claimed that he was going to be aggressive the whole game and then he went into oh. his turtle shell when he was able to settle for a 52 yard field goal. Yep. Um, so, you know, as hard as it was to root for Ohio State, as dirty as I felt rooting for Ohio State, I haven't really been invested in a game like that in a really long time that had yep. that didn't have Florida involved. And damn you, Ohio State. So, hey, TCU, keep the voodoo going because I don't know how they beat Michigan. I mean, Michigan was like at the one-yard line six times in the first half <laughs> and came away with like three total points. I, I don't know how they did it. And they've been doing it all year long. Like they got some sort of voodoo doll. They got something going on. So if anybody's got a Kirby smart voodoo doll, send that to uh, TCU so they can keep that going. Cause uh, out of all the new year's resolutions, I will take, take note that the kick did come before the ball dropped. It was like three seconds before the ball dropped. So 2023 can still be a year where Georgia gets, uh, you know, everything turns around. So uh, I'm not planning on it, but uh, that would be nice if TCU could get the job done. Go frogs. Absolutely. What, what the New Year's resolution to keep keep Georgia from winning another national championship. That's uh, absolutely. And that one's coming up soon um, next week, Monday night there between Georgia and TCU. So, all right. Um, I would not have wanted to predict Georgia to be in the national championship. Um, I, I didn't. I, I thought Alabama would be better this year. So, uh, you know, prediction nationally was wrong. But, hey, we'll get into some predictions Right here, we didn't get anything right, so it's all no, right. <laughs> not not much, not much here. Uh, all of our over and unders going back to the preseason, we set it at 13 games. Uh, so Florida had to play the bowl game first to get to that 13. Uh, hey, it wouldn't have mattered that 13th game was ugly, so <laughs> it would not have mattered for, for a lot of these numbers, uh, right here for the Gators and uh, our predictions. So, um, let's start, Will. 30 touchdowns for Anthony Richardson. He had 26, 17 passing, nine rushing. I went with the over, so I was wrong. I was wrong. Anthony Richardson, 30 touchdowns. I went over. He only had 26. Yeah, well, I can't bl- I can't give you too much crap because I went over too. Um, <laughs> you know, it was interesting. Jones and AR combined for 32 total touchdowns in 2021. And yeah. Emory was so bad in the red zone that it was like, if they just get down there the exact same number of times, this is an easy, easy over. 
And then they just never got down there. It was either an explosive <laughs> play or a three and out. And that's what it felt like all year long. And I know that's an exaggeration, but that's really what happened is Florida's offense from a success rate perspective was down around 40%, which just isn't very good. But from an explosion standpoint, they were way up there with some of the best offenses in, in college football. They ran the ball really well, but they didn't throw the ball very well. And, you know, that's not something that I think any of us were really predicting going into this. So um, we both got it wrong reasonably close. If Richardson had played the bowl game, they might have actually gotten there. Yeah. But uh, so right. maybe we, we just should, us at 13 and him only playing 12. Yeah, maybe we should do 12 games next year since half the team bops out by the time maybe the bowl game comes around. <laughs> maybe we should. Thing is, it's usually easier to go to the end of season stats to kind of compare everything. <laughs> so, um, but one game, I guess, isn't different. Yeah, we'll look at that next year. We'll see. Um, all right, next we keep it with Anthony Richardson, 303,000 yards passing for Anthony Richardson. Uh, I went over, missed that one too. 2549 there was the total for Anthony Richardson, so about 450 yards short. So, as I said, bowl game, if he had a crazy bowl game, but no, he would have never got 450, he didn't throw for 450. Uh, you know, what Tennessee game was about the closest, I think, you get to that one um, for, for Anthony Richardson. And, yeah, not enough of those type of performances from Anthony Richardson. Not saying we needed those type of performances week in and week out. I thought we would get that Tennessee performance a couple more times during the season to get that 3,000 yards passing. Anthony Richardson did not get 3,000. I picked it over, missed that one too. So I actually got this one right, and the logic was that Emory Jones threw the ball 346 times last year. Levi Lewis threw it 391. Neither of those guys reached 3,000 yards. And Richardson was sort of sitting at his career 8.4 yards per attempt. And so if he replicated that on Jones's 346 throws, then he was going to come really close. He's going to be like 2,900 yards. So the bet there was that he was probably going to be about as efficient, but given the number of times Napier was going to have him throw the ball, he wasn't going to be able to come into the 3,000 yards. It turns out that's exactly what happened, except he wasn't nearly as efficient as he was last year in his limited time. So he completed, I think it was down around like 7.6, 7.7 yards per attempt which around the same volume of throws, he ends up at 25, 2,600 yards instead of the 3,000. So the math actually worked on this one and uh, and, and uh, got that one right. There we go. There we go. So well, we knew this team was going to be a running team. This is, and, and, well, that was Billy Napier's MO. Uh, probably threw it more at times than I really thought they would, uh, going back and looking at this season. But then, of course, knowing Billy Napier's reputation, I put average rushing yards at 200 and the number I found, well, I went with ESPN on here, 200.2 were the Gators. Uh, <laughs> so they were right on the 200-yard rushing average. I went over with that. I'm going to give myself the .2 differential and say I win that one. Uh, but, like, look, at 200 was the, was the number. Florida was right at it. Yeah, so I mean, they were two thirteen going into the game against Oregon State. So it turns <laughs> out, turns out when you get completely stuffed for an entire game, that does impact your average quite a bit. I had the same. I had them over Napier. The team, the team, Florida averaged two hundred and ten yards in twenty twenty one. So when you think about like Napier's contribution on a per yard basis, they were a little bit better this year. But as an overall volume perspective, they weren't. It was kind of the same offense as last year, just with more inconsistency at quarterback. We both figured I think Napier was going to commit to the run. We saw that they ran way more than they passed, especially when they were unfamiliar with uh, 
or when they were uncomfortable with with Anthony Richardson when he was one of having one of his downsides. And AR coming into the year had averaged seven point nine yards per carry. That pretty much continued this year. He was really effective when he ran the ball. In fact, the main criticism of Richardson in most games by most fans was that he wasn't running the ball enough. I think that's a yeah. legitimate a legitimate or a legitimate concern. So hey, we got this one over. I suspect it's going to be over again next year. Or at least it's going to try. Um, they're going to try. That's going to be more of a reading on the offensive line though than it is the skill players probably when we start looking at what Florida is able to do in the run game. All right, we're going to have to keep uh, – I had to read the chat right quick. we got to remember Rob's comment here for next year. Over or under that UF keeps the streak next year. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Only, uh, <laughs> uh, it, it, over or under that Will's going to write an entire article about why you don't kick a field goal with 30 seconds left to extend the streak. A hundred percent if he does oh. it again. Good. That was a good one, Rob. I'll, try, which I, I'll, I'll go ahead and say over. They've kept it going this long. They'll find a way to get safety or something, but <laughs> that, that that's happened before as well. Oh, I was at that game. What a miserable, yeah. what a miserable experience that one was. <laughs> All right. Uh, sticking with the run game here, Will. And this was a good one. Um, any running back averaged 15 carries a game? No running back did. Uh, Johnson had about nine with 115 total carries. ETN also had about nine on 118 total carries. So both of them about even right there. 115 for Johnson, 118 for ETN. Neither one averaged 15 carries a game. Hey, look, hey, going into the season, we thought this would probably be a deeper running back room. That was one reason I said, no, that's, it's not going to happen because you had – you know, um, Nequan Wright coming into the season, we thought he would get some carries. Lamento Lingard coming into the season. We had done this before Trevor Etienne was announced as the third running back on the depth chart before the Utah game. So we had no idea he was going to be the other running back in tandem with Johnson uh, to maybe get 15 carries a game. Uh, but with, and then as the season went on, you know, if it had kind of taken on maybe what the second half of the season did with Johnson and Etienne, maybe they get to the 15, but beginning of the season hurt their chances to get 15 carries a game. Yeah, well, I mean, that's actually where the Naquan Wright effect sort of came in, right? Is Wright got a lot of carries there in the first couple of games, um, ostensibly because he was probably more consistent when it came to pass protection and making sure that Richardson was was protected. And, hey, you know, he was less effective. I mean, he was averaging like four yards an attempt, and the other guys were averaging six or seven and and sort of forced their way onto the field. But it does make me wonder whether maybe some of the inconsistencies were because they didn't have sort of a steadying influence in Naquan Wright on the field when they when they maybe needed him. Um, you know, look, you still got to produce, but, and, and certainly you could say the same thing, like Wright was out there against Kentucky when things fell apart. So I'm not sure that it's necessarily, necessarily true at the same time. I think the offense looked better early on in the year. Um, I mean, that was it, right? I mean, the, the, the thought process was you got Naquan right. If he falters, then Lingard and Johnson are the only guys left. I had not, so he only averaged 4.3 yards per attempt last year, 3.9 in 2020. And he did that again this year, Nick One Wright did. And that's one of the reasons why he was replaced. And so we sort of sat there and said, hey, Lorenzo Lingard, Montreal Johnson, then are going to get the bulk of the carries. That's why I picked over and I was wrong. Um, but again, ETN was something that I don't think we necessarily saw, but ETN completely squeezed out Lingard. So it was more that they gave even reps to everybody. Yeah. One, even once they decided to go with two running backs, they gave even reps to everybody rather than just finding the one workhorse and, and going with them. And I think that's maybe the lesson out of this is that Napier's bringing in a running back in every recruiting class. 
and he's going to sell early playing time, but he's also going to sell even reps to make sure that everybody stays healthy. And, uh, you know, that's what they were able to do this year. I mean, you look at Montreal Johnson, ETN, I'm sure they got dinged up throughout the year, but none of them really missed any time. And, uh, you know, without any of them missing time, they just got even reps. And so everybody basically went up with 12. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Yep. All right. Uh, we'll go to the passing game and the wide receivers. Any wide receiver with 45 catches... I did not have think that would happen, and it did not. Well, no, I actually did. I thought Ricky Pearsall was going to get it. I thought Ricky Pearsall would get the 45 catches. He did not. No wide receiver had it. Closest was Xavier Henderson with 38, some of those being those little short screens that went absolutely nowhere. Uh, with, it, with Xavier Henderson and his 38 catches, that was the closest to 45. Pearsall was next with 33. Yeah, I thought I had this halfway through the year when they kept throwing those little, those little uh, toss screens to Henderson that were you know right in front of, uh, right in front of Richardson. He would have gotten there if he hadn't gotten injured. Yeah, he had thirty eight, yeah. and he spent quite a bit of time not, <laughs> not out there on the field. If he'd have been out on the field, he probably gets there. I think we all sort of looked at it, and throughout the year early on, it was Henderson, it was shorter, and it was Pearsall, and so getting to forty five catches was pretty much a certainty. And then as the year wore on, the young guys started to step up and the guys who were out there started getting dinged. Again, I think this is maybe a lesson for the coaches and for the team, which is that, you know, when you're playing a team like USF or when you're playing a team like Eastern Washington, you got to get those young guys out there and get them experienced because you can't afford to have your receivers taking hits in those games. The guys who are going to be your main cogs throughout the year. They tried to ride those guys as long as they could, and by the time you got to the end of the year, they started to break down. So that's why Henderson and, and Pearsall weren't necessarily able to get there, though obviously Pearsall played great in the game against Florida State. But, uh, you know, it was an effective recruiting recruiting crew or receiving crew. It wasn't like – I mean, I, I'm not going to bounce my grandkid on my knee telling him about the 2022 Gators receiving core, but Ricky Pearsall, I'm really happy he's coming back. He's one of those guys where you're like, all right, that's a foundation to build on. So yeah, he, he posted before we get he posted his NFL combine invite yesterday. Hopefully, the last I heard, he he was coming back, but we'll hopefully nothing changes there. All right, come on, collective, get the job done. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah. So I mean, I'm I'm hopeful with Pearsall coming back, assuming he comes back. That's a nice foundation, and and I thought there was, you know, I assumed this was going to be over because just the limited numbers and you know injuries sort of prevented that from happening but i'm not disappointed in the receiving core i guess out of all the places i look at and say florida could have gotten better performances from this place or this place or this place receivers not really a place where i look at and say definitively that was where they needed um you know it would have been nice to have a percy harvin out there obviously but without that kind of game changer i look at this and say eh, they're a pretty good unit all right, and to finish up the offense right here, 35 points per game. Will didn't even get to 30, 29 and a half uh, this past season. Uh, and initially, I said over in the show, but for correcting myself for under, uh, I would and went with the over. I was like, at 36, then I think you went. I kind of changed my mind. Yeah, I think you talked me out of it just a little bit. Uh, but uh, 29 and a half there for the Gators. Yeah, I went under on this one. Um, 
mainly just because the offense would have been kind of right at 35 points per game if they'd have been a little bit more productive. And and was Anthony Richardson really going to be able to do that with a harder schedule and Napier relying on the run? It's like, nah, probably not. So I thought they'd be around 33. They wound up, what'd you say they ended up? Like 30? 29 and a half. 29 and a half. Um, but it was 31.8 before the Oregon State game. And it's it's kind of hard for me to incorporate that into the offensive yeah. analysis. Just because here, would, but I, I said 13 before the season, so I kind of had Oh, I, I get why you're doing it. And I mean, look, we need to take that into account, right? We need to sit there and go, well, we we, we think they're going to score 33, but since we know they'll lay an egg in the bowl game, we're going to put them at 30. <laughs> and and we'll we'll end up there. But so I got that right. I said under, but uh I mean and the reasoning I think makes sense and, and sort of showed up is that the offense was relying on the run much more and it, it was explosive, but it was not consistent. And that meant they weren't able to sort of reach their full potential. All right, let's go to the defense and 20 points per game. And yeah, nowhere close. Uh over. Unfortunately, we're right. Not even close. Uh team rankings, as I said, it was a little bit different just in general in these 13 games for the Gators. Hey, look, we set the number at 20, 29 points per game for this Gator defense, Will, in all 13 games. Yeah, well, look, man, you you mentioned the uh and I was higher on the defense and I still picked over. Uh, I mean, 20, 20 points per game would have been a really good defense. And I looking back at it, that was way, way, way too low. <laughs> but uh yeah, it, it won't be 20 points next year. I guarantee you that when we do over under. Well, so well, and five this was my reasoning for picking uh um you know for picking that we were gonna be over 20 points per game. Is for the last five seasons, Florida hadn't been below 20 points a game. Yeah. Um, the underlying metrics for last year, you showed those stats on yards per game, points per game, but they were pretty much in line with the 26 or 27 points per game they gave up last season. And I'm sitting there going, I don't think Patrick Tony's a miracle worker. I think he's better than Todd Grantham. Jury's still out on that one after this, right? But now you're five of the last six seasons. They haven't been below 20 points per game. That's going to have to change for Florida to, to win anything of significance in the SEC. I mean, look. We can all complain about Jim McElwain and the offense and Nussmeyer. I think that's all warranted. But the reason he was going to that SEC championship game the first two years he was here is because that he had lockdown defenses. And if Florida just gets back to having lockdown defenses, then that's going to um, allow for some of the growing pains you've, we've seen on the offensive side of the ball. With the uh, net negative that the defense has been over the last six years now, uh, you just don't have that sort of wiggle room. And when they don't have that wiggle room, that's why we've been getting those four and eight seasons and you know five and seven seasons and six and seven seasons. The reason you're getting those is because they're they can't hang their hat on anything. So um, you know, <laughs> I think honestly, you kind of need to keep the over under at twenty points per game next year because I I think if you don't end up under twenty points per game, you're probably searching for a new defensive coordinator. No, no, because they get there. I'm not, off the top of my head. I think I'm probably going to set it at 23. So, uh, set it at 20. Well, <laughs> well, I'll go ahead and tell you I'm going over. <laughs> you get uh you get an over under preview eight months early because uh yeah no I I can't there ain't no way I can pick him to go under 20. And I just I, I don't see it. Maybe that's too reactionary, but. Oh, I mean, they were bad this year. I I don't think I'd take the under either. I'm telling you what I think they have to do. Yeah. Like I just look at it and I say there, there has to be a transformation on the defensive side of the ball. This can't be like, oh, well, they're now 60th this year. It's like, 
who cares? Right. Like there's a lot of guys out there who can, who can bring in, um, who can bring in talented players and end up with like the 60th ranked defense in the country. Like there needs to be a real transformation on the defensive side of the ball. Otherwise, I mean, again, you are what your record says you are. And the first year, not so good. And now there's no excuses because it's your guys. And so let's see what you can do with your guys. And once we've seen that, we're going to evaluate you based on what you've done with your guys. And the excuse of, well, they're young doesn't fly when a bunch of guys who still had eligibility left decide to leave the program. So, All right, sticking with the defense, 37 sacks over under. Florida only had 23 <laughs> on the year. Uh, I was way off. I picked the over there. I was nailing that one under Todd Grantham as defensive coordinator. It was kind of easy. That was his MO. Uh, Florida hitting those sacks was not an issue. Uh, not even close. 23 on the year. The over-under was set at 37. I was way off on this one. That was a, that's a big oof. Big oof. And, hey, oof is a gauge breakdown plus kind of inside joke. It's kind of, you know, anytime, bad, anytime something bad happens, oof. And uh, there's, there's, there's an oof right there. Yeah, man. I, I, oh, like, I took the under on this one. But it was more who can win. So here are my comments that I wrote back in, in August. Who can win a one-on-one battle up front or even a double team when the scheme doesn't get you there? Grenard did that in 2019, which is why the sack, sack rate was much higher. So they averaged 2.9 sacks in 2018, 3.5 in 2019, and 2.8 in 2020 and 2021. So that's why I took the under because I figured they'd be well under 37 if they sat there at the same thing. And then it goes, can Cox be that guy? And when he is, can others step up to win their battles to get to the quarterback? Sap, Human, Meelan, and Powell Ryland. Wow. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, basically every question there is like a big, yeah. giant oof, apparently. <laughs> so it, it was rough, man. Like every and question Powell, you asked in terms yeah, of Yeah, and if Powell Ryland would have put up his numbers that he did, you know, for the whole year, then okay, you know, it, it's better. But yeah, they're not getting close to what, what, what I said to that. Nah, not even close. So you're gonna have to put that at like 20 next year. What 2024? 20, <laughs> yeah. Well, don't worry. We're getting into my bad predictions coming up because boy, are they bad. I mean, because look, I, I, well, yeah, we'll look ahead. Florida had 23 this year. I'll set it at 25 next year. Uh, just you know, for maybe some marked improvement from a defense, uh, or you know, if you expect some improvement from a defense, they should be able to get you know 25 or more sacks. But there we go. We'll do it there. Uh, as a early preview for that one. So, all right, here's some superlatives that we went through before we sign off right here on Gators Breakdown. Take a look back at these ultimate game changer. I went with Ricky Pearsall. He wasn't quite the game changer I really expected him to be. Was banged up toward the beginning of the year. Uh, showed it in the Florida State game. You know, I wasn't expecting that game in and game out, but maybe something close to that. I'm not saying I was really disappointed with him. Uh, I expected Anthony Richardson to be a better quarterback. I think I thought Ricky Pearsall would be one of the bigger benefactors of that. Um, he was not being as AR was you know, kind of holding those receivers back just uh, in, in some form. Uh, and so ultimate game changer, I will go with, he started at game one, won the game for the Gators. Amari Bernie was around the turnovers. Uh, a lot of the turnovers of this Gator defense. I thought he improved so much uh, in his final season as a Gator and just around so many turnovers, a ball hawk there for that Gator defense. So um, probably could have went Anthony Richardson still in some form or fashion there for, for the game changer for the Gators. But just to change it up just a little bit, going to Mari Bernie. Uh, I don't want to say who I picked as the game changer. So <laughs> I picked Patrick Tony as my game changer. <laughs> 
So here, here, here's what I wrote. I said, I've picked both the over for points and the under for sacks. If the defense is going to prove me wrong, it's because the upgrade from Grantham to Tony is about as significant as it gets. And now I'm talking about he needs to have a 20-point-per-game performance next year or he's out. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, I guess you could call him a game-changer in that every time the off- the opposing offense got the ball, the game, the yeah. score changed. Yeah. Maybe you could do it that way. So, man, is that a bad pick given what we saw this year and given the lack of improvement that we saw. Um, if I was going to pick my game-changer, I think I'd pick Osiris Torrance. Okay. Um, you, yeah. know, you think about a guy who didn't give up any sacks. You, obviously, Anthony Richardson did a really nice job of helping – the uh, helping the offense in terms of being able to to prevent those sacks, but Torrance didn't give up any sacks. He's going to be a first round draft pick in the NFL. He came from you know the Sun Belt to the SEC and still dominated in the SEC, and he was a big part of an offensive line that dominated the nation in running. They were like fourth or fifth overall in yards per attempt in the running game. Etienne and Montreal Johnson had holes to run through when they needed a couple of yards. They did it behind Osiris Torrance. And when you think about the Utah game, the biggest one of the year, where were they running when mm-hmm. Richardson was running those direct runs towards the end of the game to get to get the first downs and the touchdowns? They were running the right-hand side of the unit, and that was what they did all year long. And obviously when Torrance missed the bowl game, everything fell apart. I mean, they just, they just it was the same offensive line, just no Osiris Torrance, and everything, everything went to hell. Now, obviously, you got a different quarterback. You got different motivation. You got two of those offensive linemen who were out there have decided to enter the transfer portal. So there was a lot of stuff going on, I'm sure, heading into that game. But still um, – you know, you start thinking about the difference that that guy makes. Look, an, an all-American guard um, coming from the Sun Belt to the SEC, I think it's a pretty big deal. He was the guy who I think, when you look at Florida, at the bright spots on the team, Torrance is the one who just shines to me. All right, best tandem. And uh, I remember saying uh, you could probably go with the running back room in some combo, but I wanted to change it up. Uh, I went Kingsley and Osiris. To, to do that and okay i got osiris right and kingsley i think took a step back uh this year but you know i think you probably uh could have went I, I think you have to go running backs i didn't want to go running backs because i thought it was obvious and i think it's obvious even after the season the best tandem are montreal johnson uh and, and trevor Etienne. Uh, I, you have to go with those guys as the best tandem uh there for the gators uh, it, the, the run game Surprising, definitely, with Trevor Etienne coming through uh, as a true freshman, as somebody they could count on right away. We saw it game one. We saw a difference maker that he was um, in the, the speed. He gets to the outside, makes people miss. I still remember that jump cut that he had versus Kentucky, leaving the guys' socks on the field uh, right there with, with, with Trevor Etienne. And Montreal Johnson, the biggest question was, could he transfer his game uh, from the Sun Belt to the SEC? And, hey, he did a pretty good job there, uh, did Montreal Johnson. Best tandem, no doubt goes to Montreal Johnson, Trevor Etienne. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's – I mean, I can't think of a tandem you would go to anywhere else. I mean, I don't think you can do it on the defensive side of the ball. I don't think you no. can do it – I mean, you're not going to do it at the wide receiver. You're not going to do it at quarterback. You're not going to do it at tight end. Um, so it's it's got to be the running back. So and I think guys if you I, wanted to go, you could probably – when he was in there, when, when they played together because Tarquin got hurt, you could probably go Osiris and Barber. Maybe. But, yeah. But still yeah, – well, Preseason, I had picked Rashad Torrance and Travez Johnson, so uh, <laughs> not so much. <laughs> oh, there you go. I didn't remember that one. Ooh, I, th- I remember the Patrick Tony one as soon as you said it, but oof. There we go. Keep the yeah. in this one. 
So really, um, the lesson the lesson is go to Vegas after our next over under episode, and just anybody I've picked to succeed, just be like, nope, <laughs> other guy. <laughs> uh, breakout player. Hey, I thought it would continue from the spring game. Tyreek Sapp uh, didn't quite break out. I mean, he got a lot of playing time there uh, for for the Gators along the defensive front, but didn't really break out like I thought he would. Um, Austin Barber, Trevor Etienne. I think that's your 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 breakout player as well. Etienne is the guy. Yeah. I mean, Etienne showed all SEC capability, showed an elite ability to sort of make the small play where you need three yards and be able to make a guy miss and get that three yards. The guy I had picked was Keon Zipperer. I just sort of assumed that Xanders mm-hmm. was maybe gonna was gonna take some some catches away from him early, but that eventually Zipperer's physical skills were gonna take over. And we saw that in the Tennessee game. I mean, that play he made against Tennessee was just unbelievable. Just being able to run through the defense. And then you just wonder where was that all year long? And obviously had some injury issues and wasn't wasn't always out there playing. But you know, I remember Zipper having a very similar play against Georgia back in 2020. It was sort of the thing that got Florida going after they fell behind 14 to nothing. And so the thought process was, and even this year after I saw that play against Tennessee where he bulldozed into the end zone, I'm like, yeah, we're finally getting Zipper going. Like this is this is the start of something. And then it just never turned into anything. So, um, you know, look, I, I think I think Napier's still going to want to feature his tight ends. I think hopefully there's going to be a quarterback who can get it to the tight ends on a more regular basis than Florida was able to get last year. Um, but it just never it never converted, right? I mean, it's been that way. You know, Zipper committed from Lakeland, and we've always sort of been waiting for him to break out. There was no shame in being behind Kyle Pitts, and really there wasn't any short shame being behind Kamori Gamble. But you think about the amount of productivity that Florida got from his tight ends this year, and, and it is disappointing that, that Zipper wasn't able to step in there and be a highly, highly productive player at that tight end position. All right, last one to wrap it up here. No respect. Uh, hey, oh, this one kind of this this one hurt for me. Will I, I said Britton Cox Jr. Uh, no respect there. So midway throughout the season, uh, he's dismissed from the team. And hey, look, I, I brought his name up earlier. I'm gonna say Amari Burning uh, just because the defense. Hey, look, don't get me wrong. Defense was terrible. Uh, I thought he took a step this year. The stats show he took a step this year. He wasn't the liability that he was. Uh, in, in previous years. And don't get me wrong, I know that probably doesn't speak a whole lot uh, to a lot of people on a bad defense, but being involved in some, a lot of the turnovers on defense, having the game winning, uh, ooh, that Utah game is going to be tough for any linebacker. We saw it all season. We saw Utah's tight ends do that to almost every team they played. It was going to be a bad matchup there uh, for, the, for for a Gator linebacker, specifically Amari Bernie. Comes through with the game winning play in the biggest game of the season, or biggest win for the season for the Gators. And no respect. He get, and probably still labeled that way. Um, Mar Bernie on his way out uh, from, from the Gators. That's where I'll go. Yeah, the guy I had for no respect, and I think he actually sort of lived up to it, though had some injuries towards the end of the year. I had Justin Shorter. Um, you know, he had 81 career catches coming in, 41 last year, and, and we thought he was going to be asked to step into a larger role. Had very similar stats to a guy, Terrace Marshall who was at LSU. And so, hey, look, there's a five-star recruit who hasn't quite lived up to the billing. And I think people sort of written him off. He was really effective this year. So he, in 2021, he had 41 catches for 550 yards. This year he had 29 catches, but for 577. He was a deep threat. 
he was the 75 yard uh, pass against uh, against LSU to open that game. Mm-hmm. Um, he was he was a very effective player when he was out there. He had had some drop problems, especially early on in his career here at Florida. Didn't have ma- many of those issues at all this year. Um, he was able to go get a ball. There was that fourth down against Tennessee where they decided to chuck it up to him, and he sort of came back to it and was able to leap over the defender and make the catch. And it just makes me wonder how much of sort of the the limitations that we've seen for short of the last two years have been due to quarterback and how much of them have actually been due to shorter because I, I honestly thought he played very well this year till the end when he when he got nicked up and just wasn't in there very often but you know I, I would have loved to have seen a 45 catch season averaging 20 yards per reception but you know the the knock on shorter that I always had was in 2020 he averaged 10.7 yards per attempt or 10.7 yards per catch in 2021 he averaged 13.4 this year he averaged 19.9 so he went from that sort of possession receiver who gets the little swing pass and then is asked to beat people and really isn't all that successful at that, and you get maybe four or five, six yards, to a guy who was a downfield threat and was able to make plays on the outside. I think he's a guy who's going to end up in the NFL, who's going to have a role. I don't know that he's going to be a star receiver in the NFL, but I think he's going to have a role as an outside receiver who can go get the ball, especially in the red zone, and he showed the ability to do that this year. All right, there we go. Hopefully, we'll do better next year. Uh, it'd be it'd be be interesting over unders for uh, uh, next year, but always fun when we get the predictions and go back and look at them. It's funny we make fun of each other, but to be honest, like we were inconsistent in these picks. But there, were, other than other than the Patrick Tony pick, there isn't anything in here that's just egregious in terms of oh well, we thought he'd have more than we thought Ar'd have more than thirty touchdowns. I think everybody yeah. sort of thought that. Um, you know, the, the, there's a bunch of stuff in here that we had good reasons for. And and honestly, when you look back at it, you're like, yeah, that didn't happen. And that's why it didn't happen. and Or right. that's why we didn't hit that number. And so it's actually a little bit comforting to look at that and say, look, the, the analysis point, the hinge point was correct. We just picked the wrong way the door was going to swing <laughs> when, <laughs> when we were looking at it in, in some of these cases. But it also suggests that we know exactly what needs to be fixed, yeah. right? That when you, when you start looking at some of these things, you know, do you need a receiver with 45 catches? Not really. But the fact that we didn't get there because the starting wide receivers were used so much early on that they got injured, I think is a learning is a, is a learning thing for this staff. And I do wonder, you know, I mentioned that we went two and five down the stretch. Is some of that just because they overplayed guys early? I know there was, there was some great analysis. I think Bud Davis did an analysis on Javon oh, yeah. Dexter mm-hmm. early in the year where like in the first half he was playing at an all SEC level. And then in the second half, he was like a below average defensive lineman. And it was because they were just using him so much that by the end of the game, he was exhausted. And, you know, that starts to perpetuate itself through the season. So, you know, we were sitting there feeling good at six and four and you go into that Vanderbilt game, it's on the road, all that sort of stuff. Did we just get to a point where the team didn't have a whole lot of depth, was nicked up and and wasn't able to perform? Um, you know, it's possible that that's one of the reasons that the, that the team struggled so much, especially in the second half of the year. So did the staff learn something from that? And do these numbers sort of point towards um, those sorts of learnings? I think in many ways they do. So, you know, you look at it as a staff and say, what can we learn from the fact that, you know, these hinge moments came and we didn't necessarily perform when the hinge moments came. Sort of goes back to your last four of the first half and first four of the second half type stuff too. Those are those hinge moments. And and Mm -hmm. how do you make sure you get the door swinging in the right direction? Um, You know, that's obviously something that the staff's going to have to figure out this year. And I think some of these things not going our way sort of indicate where that improvement needs to come. All right, there we go. Uh, Up at Reading Reaction, Will, you said... Grand merch preview coming soon? 
Yeah, I've been watching a lot of Wisconsin film. There will be a merch preview coming up. I've also been watching a lot of stuff on Patrick Tony and what he sort of said the defense was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, when you look at like his film cl- film clinics and things like that on Coach Tube, and so um, when you go and look at the Florida defense, um, there are times where that's not happening. And so there will be an article up there that looks at that. And then if you haven't had a chance yet, um, it was before the holidays, but I put up and I'm going to put it up on YouTube hopefully tonight. But I had an article just on recruiting in general. And it wasn't Florida recruiting specifically. I mean, obviously it has Florida ties and there's analysis of Florida's uh, early signing day period. But it looks specifically at when we talk about top five classes, when we talk about, you know, point rankings and those sorts of things. And there's a lot of discussion about Billy Napier having a having an average player rating of like 92.3 and how that compares to previous classes that have turned into turned into elite classes and things like that. So I tried to take a real analytical look at recruiting. And so that's up there right now. So if you haven't had a chance, go take a look at that. I think it's pretty I think it's a, it's a really interesting look at where the separation lies. And, you know, when people say, oh, well, we should have beat Kentucky because we have more talent. Well, there are some reasons in that article that suggest that that's not necessarily a great way of analyzing those sorts of wins or losses when you're playing a team like Kentucky. All right. Look forward to that, Will. And, yeah, plenty off season pretty much now. Say so Next week we probably won't do our normal – in the off season, we don't really necessarily go on Monday nights, every Monday night anyway – um, that's more of a season thing. But next Monday night, of course, is a national championship game. And then uh, hopefully next time Will and I get together, we're not discussing Georgia winning a national championship. So go Frogs. <laughs> go Frogs. Go Frogs, of course. Um, so, yeah, there we go. That'll do it for this episode of Gators Breakdown. Everybody, thanks for hopping on. Right here with Will and I. You can find Will on Twitter at WillMilesSEC and his site, ReadingReaction.com. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. One more time, everybody, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button if you haven't done so yet. And thank you for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.